Let's come to God now with, um, with our prayers for Cornerstone and other things that are going on in our, in our nation. Let's, let's pray. Father God, as we come before you now, we do acknowledge our need of you, our dependence on you in all of life. And uh, we thank you that um, you are there for us. Uh, we're not alone. Uh, we don't th- seek to do things. We don't seek to to um, minister to others on our own, but by your grace working through us. And we do thank you for Cornerstone. Thank you for uh, the way it um, got off the ground and has grown and become a, a healthy church in its own right. But as Paddy says, um, uh, they long to see people become more healthy, to grow and mature in their faith. We thank you for those they've reached out to in their need and uh, those who've come and felt um, uh, being part of a family there at Cornerstone. But we do pray for, for further growth. We do pray for this vision they have of uh, a growth um, one by one. And we do pray that each uh, member of Cornerstone will feel they're able to, to take part in that and use their families, their households um, to reach out to those who have no idea of what church is all about, have no idea who Jesus is and and what he came for. And Lord, we do pray for our nation. We do pray for the part that each of us can play as we reach out to uh, people who are lost, people who don't have Jesus in their lives. We acknowledge the instability that there exists uh, at the moment in this country. And Lord, we do pray that, um, that as a church, we will be able to to reach out to people, to show them that um, stability, security can be found, not in uh, the financial markets, not in the political system, not in the, the government, but only in, in God as our refuge and as our rock, the one who is unchangeable, the one who cannot be moved um, even when all around him is... Uh, is falling apart. So Lord, we pray for ourselves as we witness to a world um, and a country which um, is struggling to make sense of things. Help us to demonstrate the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ that even if we may ourselves feel insecure, we know that there is one who is in charge of this this weak and uh, feeble world. Lord, we do pray for this region. We do pray for this community. We do pray for things coming up. events where we can share our faith. We do pray for the village of faith on Saturday and pray just as we mix and mingle with others that we would um, do so in a way in which um, we're able to um, to show your grace in our everyday lives. We pray for Lighthouse as uh, preparations continue for that and we do pray that um, there would be sufficient helpers and a big enough team to uh, look after all the children who are registering. And we do pray that uh, over the course of that week that uh, the good news of Jesus is made um, clear to those who come and that people can see the difference he can make in their lives, whatever age they may be. So, Lord, hear our prayers and uh, bless the rest of our evening. Do pray for Paddy as he speaks uh, shortly, uh, that um, through him you would encourage us and inspire us to be faithful witnesses for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Liz Wickens is going to come and bring us our reading now from 2 Kings uh, chapter 7. The context for our reading is that um, the city, the king of Israel and the prophet Elisha and the city and people of Samaria have been besieged 
by the Aramean army and food is scarce and um, the people are desperate and the king has decided that the blame lies at Elisha's door and heads to find him to um, kill him. Elisha replied, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a seer of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went into the Aramean camp and no one was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. The king got up in the night and said to his officers, I will tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know we are starving. So they've left the camp to hide in the countryside thinking... They will surely come out, and then we will take them alive and get into the city. One of his officers answered, Have some men take five of the horses that are left in the city. Their plight will be like that of all the Israelites left here. Yes, they will only be like all these Israelites who are doomed. So let us send them to find out what happened. So they selected two chariots with their horses, and the king sent them after the Aramean army. He commanded the drivers go and find out what has happened. They followed them as far as the Jordan and they found the whole road strewn with the clothing and equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a seer of the finest flour sold for a shekel and two seers of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. It's a good story, isn't it? It's a really good story. Uh, the reason I picked it is, is um, two things. I love it. 
I think it's quite funny. Uh, there are lots of it uh, that I find really humorous. Uh, I also read it to my boys. It was in one of their kind of nighttime uh, Bible story books. Because it's a story you don't come across a lot. I don't know how many of you have heard it before. Have you kind of read it? I know you guys are well read here, so maybe all of you uh, know. But we're going to talk about the idea of blessed to bless. Um, and uh, especially looking at the lepers. There's loads in this passage uh, to bring out. But uh, we're going to talk about this together. Just in case you couldn't visualize it. Here is what happened, okay? So there's God's people uh, in Samaria, uh, which is interesting because that's the place of the Samaritans, but at this time, God's people are there. And uh, the Arameans from modern-day Syria decide to come and attack the city. Uh, not just some of them, lots of them. They surround it, and there's no food uh, to go around. And the people there, uh, they're starving to death. Um, we deliberately didn't read the chapter before. It's pretty gross. Um, those of you who like horrible histories, it's good to see you kids here. Uh, the people in the city were so hungry that they ate the doves. Okay. Then when the doves had run out, they ate the bones and the feathers. And when the bones and the feathers had run out, absolutely true, according to the Bible, they ate the poo of the doves. True story. You've got to be pretty hungry. Uh, there's also a pretty gross story. Once again, horrible histories. Just to show you, the Bible's really, really interesting. Um, there was this really sad story. It's not funny at all. Where there were these two uh, mums, and they were chatting, and they were very hungry. And one of the mums said to the other mum, uh, why don't we eat your kid today, and then we'll eat my kid tomorrow. So they ate one of the kids. The next day, the other kid was playing hide-and-seek. They couldn't find him anywhere. And the mum's like really upset, because she's like, I thought we could have kids to eat two days in a row. And that's the thing that made the king really angry, because he suddenly thought, this is wrong. We're God's covenant people. God's made promises to us. And this seems really, really unfair. We're surrounded, and so he decides to come and have a go at Elisha. The people are dying. The people are scared. And they feel surrounded. And I've got a question, which is this. Uh, the question is this. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel surrounded? Maybe you've never eaten dove poo, but maybe uh, you feel surrounded. Maybe life has surrounded you, and all you see is death and suffering and heartache and you feel surrounded do you ever feel like that Uh, because these people did and they knew the promises of god and they had god's word in the middle of them and yet it felt like something had gone very wrong and uh i'm going to try and encourage you today if that's you so uh two things just so you know what's coming and if this is not interesting to you you can have a little nap uh, as pastor julian from romania says if you can't nap in church when you're tired where can you nap i hope you won't uh but here's what i'm going to say uh, i'm going to try and say well what does god actually say about our situation if we do feel surrounded uh what does god say about our situation uh, and secondly we're going to talk about uh, god's people under siege if we feel like as a church not just as individuals but as a church that we're losing the battle somehow If we feel like we're in decline, if we feel like the world's out to get us, I'm going to talk a little bit about what might be needed in situations like that. Does that make sense? So two things. Uh, We're going to talk about what does God say about this being under siege uh, and uh, what's needed. So here we go. Here we go. Uh, 2 Kings 7, verses 1 and 2. Elisha says in the middle of the siege, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says about this time tomorrow. A sayer of the finest flour will sell for a shekel. That's very cheap. And two sayers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now, the interesting bit is that Elisha's got quite a good record as a prophet. He's, he's pretty, pretty spot on. You'd think the people by now would have got the hang of listening to this guy. But they don't, especially not the king nor the guy that's on the king's arm. And I guess for two reasons. Sometimes when people come to me and say, Paddy, I never knew that life was going to be like this. I thought becoming a Christian was going to sort this kind of stuff out Uh, what i want to try and say as gently as possible is are you a little bit hard of hearing 
Because the fact is, the Bible talks about this not being our home, that we have something to come that's, that's worth waiting for, that we're meant to work for God's kingdom now, but God's kingdom will come. When Jesus talked about discipleship, he talked about carrying crosses, and he talked about walking a hard road, and he talked about narrow gates and, and rocky paths. He talked about this thing, and yet somehow within the church and within kind of Christianity has crept in this idea of, if I'm good, God will be good to me. And we forget, I guess, sometimes, and this is not trying to sound too hard-hitting, we forget what, what God's real big picture is. He does care about your 70-odd years here on earth, but he's got something far greater planned. And the grief that we feel when people die is the grief that he feels now when we're separated from him. Because we were made to be in perfect relationship with him. Now, I know these aren't things that make life easy, and they don't make life, in one sense, better in the short term, but, but this is the kind of thing we need to be hearing when we're feeling surrounded. We can remind ourselves, especially in the light of the referendum of like Matthew 24, is it? Where he says, nation will rise against nation, kings against kings, families against families. That there'll be famine and wars and rumors of wars. We can remind ourselves of these promises of God that that quite possibly God can still be in control when the world is falling down. We can remind ourselves of a God who is so great that he can bring about his purposes even through the very worst acts of humanity. We can remind ourselves of a God who has done these things. And I guess my first question and challenge today is if you're the sort of person that's feeling surrounded is twofold. Number one, are we really listening to God anymore? When there's a book in the Bible called Lamentations, quite possibly God has something to say about suffering. When Jesus himself, God come to earth, has a cry of abandonment, quite possibly there's something we can learn and really listen to again about a God who is God in suffering, not just to take us out of it. Now, this is not easy. This is not easy. The biggest thing I'm coming up against against people at the moment is, how can there be a God in suffering? It's hard. I can point out that quite a lot of it's caused by people not listening to God. If we shared all the food we had, no one would die of famine. True story. If we shared the water we had, no one would die of thirst. If we didn't pump our food full of chemicals, people might not get quite so sick. If we were wise stewards of the world, there might be enough to go around. And people say, oh, yeah, but what about natural disasters, you know? Well, maybe if we didn't force people to live in buildings that were unsuitable for earthquake zones, they wouldn't die. Maybe if we didn't, through greed, try and live in places that are not great for humanity to live in, people wouldn't die. Maybe if we shared the knowledge that we had, people wouldn't die in tsunamis. Now, I'm not trying to blame people and take it away from God, but we need to think seriously about what is this suffering thing that people are talking about. And then people say, yeah, but what about other things, illnesses that we can't explain and i say well maybe if we share the pills and the tablets that we have in our country and sell them fairly to those other people some people might survive and maybe if we we're wiser with how we care for the world and what we pump into our oceans and the plastics maybe people wouldn't die so easily and then you're left with this little bit that is really hard and i'm not going to try and give an easy easy answer to but when we're talking about a god who is able to do that and will redeem that and will bring about wholeness in creation what i want to try and say is are we hard of hearing sometimes maybe just a little bit Or are we listening to the wrong voices? And I encourage you to to read and to read because the story of kings is that there is a king of kings and a lord of lords and he fights the battles. And victory is coming. It's about waiting on him and waiting on the Lord. And that the battles that he fights are far greater than what people could see. Now that's a lot of words and some of you have already lost. And you're thinking that's a lot of words with no breaks. I hope if not the words, but the tone comes across. This is a God who loves very deeply a people who doubt. This is a God who loves very deeply a people who doubt. And we're going to see why. 
I want to tell you this. We are surrounded. How man, put your hands up if you feel surrounded sometimes. Put your hands up if you feel surrounded, that you feel like the church is surrounded. You feel surrounded. Well, I want to say we are surrounded. Here's what Hebrews says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We are surrounded, but not in the way you think. Hebrews 11 has this list upon list upon list of people that ran the race to the end. I want to encourage you again, if you're hard of hearing, you know the words perseverance? That means it feels painful. Running to the end is painful. For those of you who are interested in the Olympics, uh, Usain Bolt might be out. He's torn his hamstrings. It's terrible. Terrible. He won't be able to run the race to the end. You have this example of Jesus who endured the cross. This is painful stuff. But I want to encourage you, dear church, if you feel surrounded, you are surrounded, but not maybe how you think. You are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses testifying with one voice that God is faithful to the end. That he will wipe every tear. That death will be defeated. That sin will be forgiven. Nowhere else will you find that. And even if there's no God, the question of suffering doesn't disappear anyway. Some of my friends who are the strongest atheists still struggle with it. I mean, it doesn't solve the question. Well, there's no God, therefore I don't care about suffering anymore. Well, we do care, don't we? It's, it's there. But we are surrounded, but maybe not how we think. So, how do we break the siege? How do we break the siege, okay? Here's a question for you, because I know I'm quite hard to listen to for extended periods of time. So, uh, why did the lepers go? You're going to have a little chat with your neighbour. Why did the lepers go? Verses 3 and 4 in 2 Kings 7. Are they a good or a bad role model for us? If you haven't got a Bible, there's some out there, and I'm going to give you two or three minutes to chat where you are. Why did the lepers go? Are they a good or bad role model for us? And why? Have a little chat together. Um, verses 3 and 4. Um, a couple of minutes, thank you. Okay. Why do the lepers go? Why do the lepers go? You've got nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. They're going to die anyway. Yeah. Nothing to lose. Are they a good or a bad role model for us? Not too bad. That is a great answer. Come see, come Not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah. So, so they're really interesting, isn't it? Because actually, this is out of desperation. This is, this is not a, a kind of conscious choice of let's go on a missionary journey to the Arameans. Let's, let's go and help the Arameans see the light of God. And, and in one sense, this, this little bit of the talk is much more about, I guess, mission rather than individual stuff. The first bit, although it's rapidly gone, uh, was much more about the feeling of being individually surrounded. I, I, I can't say it, I guess, any clearer than I can't imagine what you're feeling right now, uh, but I know a God who does. I know a God who's done enough. I know that in my own walk, when there's been pain, uh, it hasn't always been just erased away, but that somehow God has redeemed it. That means taken it and turned it into something else and, and, and transformed my heart and my mind and my character. That, 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 that Sometimes it's about time, and some of the things I'm still hurting about, I think, will be long time. I, th- I think these things help me when I'm going through that kind of personal surrounding thing. But this bit is much more about we as a church. Let me tell you the bad news first before we get to the good news. We are in decline, generally. 
There are parts of the world which we like to feel good about, where the church is growing, but, but we are generally in decline. Uh, we're not doing great with our youth, we're not doing great with our kids, and we're not doing great with the general populace. Don't feel sad, though, because God's good, and he's got a plan, and we're going to try and learn briefly from this. Um, in Hebrews 11, because I love how these two things go together, it says this, um, the people of faith, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, this is it's slightly different to the lepers, because Stuart's absolutely right. The lepers went because they were starving and they thought they were dying. But, but in Hebrews, it talks about these people who live by faith, who were longing for something else. They were longing for the promises of God, that everything else was, was stripped away because they were longing for that thing that they were holding on for. And I guess this is the, the, the challenge for us because when I look at the church sometimes, I don't quite see that longing. And I'm not trying to beat you up because I'm part of it. But I don't quite see that longing. I, I see that it's become about us quite a lot of the time. Uh, verse 8, when the lepers get there, I think they're great examples of the church. They get there, they, they, they eat because they need to. And when people come to church, they often need to kind of fill themselves with God. And then they, they enjoy the blessings of being in the camp. And often when people come to faith... That's good. They enjoy the blessing of family life, and that's you know absolutely right. We want them to feel part of the the family. But then you see what the lepers do next. They they take seconds and they go and hide it, and then they come back and get thirds, and then hide that as well. And I have people in my church I love to bits, but they're on their fourth or fifth helping, and they're kind of saying, just when I've had a bit more, then I'm going to go. I just just need a bit more blessing. I need a bit more teaching. I need a bit more knowledge. Then I'm going to go. And yet what I want to try and say to us is, as a church, we, we don't have that time and we don't have that luxury. And the problem is, by the eighth helping, you start to look a bit like me. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I worry that, that too much of church has become about us and we store up what belongs to others ourselves. Because everything that lepers stored was someone else's stuff if they'd shared it. What I mean by this, is, as simply as I can put it, is sometimes we, we sing a lot about blessings and we enjoy the blessing of, of knowing God and forgiveness and salvation, but we forget to pass it on. We are blessed to bless. We are blessed to bless. From the very first day you come to know Jesus to your very last, you are blessed to bless. You, you tell your story, the story of how you came to know God, until you know a bit more, then you add that bit into your story, and then your testimony becomes what I know about God, including what I now have learned about him, and that becomes your story, and as people come to faith, you tell their story as part of your story. We are blessed to bless. And, and in a world that I truly believe, I'm not trying to bash it, is post-alpha, like we're inviting people to come to big courses, but people are looking at lives and going, why would I become a Christian? You look no different. And on Sundays you disappear. And and then that sounds really harsh, but the thing we're grappling with at Cornerstone is we've done inviting, we've done inviting, we've done inviting, and yet the commission was to go. The commission was to go and bless to bless. All of you, go. I love this. They said this. this What we're doing is not right. This is the lepers talking. This is the day of good news. We're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Two interesting things. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, good news is gospel. Yeah, euangelion. Yeah, so so you get this little, like, hint. Now, of course it is, because it's Greek. But but I love they're saying this is the day of the gospel, and we're keeping it to ourselves. 
Like, like I love that there's this little hint. And what I love is that the gospel means that I don't fear the punishment that they were fearing, that when the daylight came, like Game of Thrones, everyone would rush in and just kill them all. Like, cause I don't fear punishment now because perfect love drives out all fear. Like, I know God loves me and God has chosen me and God has saved me and God has forgiven me. But why do I keep that to myself? Now, now I believe God chooses people, but the scary bit is that I'm making my friends' minds up for them quite a lot of the time. Oh, he's not interested. He's too busy. He's got it all together. He doesn't need it right now. He scares the life out of me. Those are my five friends. Like, <laughs> But I love that the lepers break the bad habit with this bit. What we're doing is not right. They just recognize. They recognize it. And, and I know that in one sense, I'm, I'm using a story to kind of put it on. Like, you could still say, well, it's interesting the lepers even. You know, these are guys who are outside the camp. They, they were not blessed. They weren't allowed to go to the temple. Like, isn't it interesting that often God uses this example of the weakest and the smallest to go and do his work? Isn't it interesting that time and time again, people like Gideon, you know, Moses who can't talk. Like, God uses these little people to go and do it. And often our excuses are not as good as them. And God says, that's why I've picked you. Because my power is made perfect in weakness. And I want to try and say that some of us, and I want to encourage you to do this. What I love about Claire and I discovering about breaking bad habits is that breaking bad habits is a lot of fun. I'll, let me give you some examples, right? Have a dinner party with someone from church, but invite people from outside of church. I know, terrifying, yeah? Some of you are like, we do that all the time. Good, okay, well, well, you know, like, like do stuff with both people from inside of church and outside of church and help them to realize that, that, that there's not much difference sometimes. Yeah, be praying actively for, for God to give you opportunities. Like, I know this is really basic stuff. And some of you go, this is not the sermon I hope for. I was hoping for an in-depth exegesis of 2 Kings 7. But, but I just think that sometimes it's about breaking the bad habits. I really do. I, I long for a day where I no longer care so much about myself that I let it get in the way of telling someone about God. I long for the day where I'm not so scared that I don't let it get in the way of someone telling someone about God. And, and I long for the day where I'm not too busy to do what I was made to do. Yeah, you know, I, I long for that day. So, last question for you guys really quickly. Um, when the lepers come back in, and you're going to have to scan through quite a bit, so I'm going to give you a couple of minutes for this, that they rush back into camp, they say, today's a day of good news, and they meet the gatekeepers, they meet the king, they, they kind of tell the officers, um, how do the different people react to the lepers' news? And a difficult question, but an interesting one, is which, if any of those people, is similar to you? And why? So there's all these different reactions as this news comes back in that God has saved the day. Okay, so have a little chat together. Uh, have a little quick chat for a couple of minutes, um, just to give you a break from my voice. So, how do different people react to the lepers' news, which, if any, is similar to you, and why? Okay. Um, I'm sorry I'm not giving you much time. I know it's the worst thing you can get asked a question. Uh, you could do this at home. You could take this home and do some homework. Um, how do different people react to the lepers' news? Uh, who, who have you got? Just quickly, who have you got? The king. The king, what does he do? He didn't, he didn't believe it. He's the king. He's the, he's the one who at the very beginning was like, what's God doing? Why isn't God going to rescue us? Uh, and then the lepers come and go, God has rescued us. God defeated the enemy with none of God's people having to fight at all. Like none. Like, like he, he defeated the enemy totally by grace. Like, there was not even one wound inflicted on, on the army of God. 
And the king hears that and it's like, nah, nah they're just hiding. They're going to get us. They're going to get us. This is just the, the lull before the storm. So yeah, the king, not a great example. Uh, and in one sense, the interesting bit about God's people at this time in history was God had said, this is what kings are going to do. They were meant to have judges, not kings. God was their king. And they're like, no, we really like kings. Look, everyone else has got one. And he goes, the king's going to take your sons. They're going to fight and die. You're going to take your daughters. going to take your stuff. That's a real shame. But um, yeah, king. Okay, who else we got? The gatekeepers heard the message, but they had a job and they were busy and they just didn't do anything about it. You know, like, maybe I'll go and find salvation after I've finished being a gatekeeper. Because you've got to remember, these people were dying of salvation. The lepers have come in and gone, there's food over there. And they've gone, we'll repeat the message, but we need to guard against the army that's no longer there. (laughs) Okay, who else? The The officers. Oh man, how good is it to have office in your, in your life? Who, who don't just go, don't be an idiot king, but go, well, why don't we have a look? Because they're kind of saying that salvation is there. Here's an idea. We could send some people to check we're dead anyway. Worst case, they're going to die out there. I mean, this seems to be the kind of feeling that was just around the whole church, yeah? Or not the whole church, the whole of God's people. Um, the officers kind of come up with this idea of actually, yeah, there's something going on out there. We could be part of this. Let's, let's test it. Let's, let's, let's try. They're, they're kind of exciting to be around. Uh, and then who else? We've got the little chariot guys. You don't hear much of them, but they're just riding out. And then they come back really excited because they found out that it's true. Um, I love that without any attempt on my part, God sent Jesus to live and die for me and fight a battle that I would never have been able to win. I love that totally by grace, God looks at me now and sees the perfection of Jesus. I love that it's changed my life. I love that it brought me here. I love that I had very many happy years here. I love that it's helped to start a new church. And I love that through that, people have come to saving faith themselves. I, I, I love that. I love that my kids still love church at the moment, and I'm trying very hard not to wreck it. I, I, I love when I hear them singing the songs and saying the words, and, and I pray daily that they're going to get it. Like, like, I love that this God has done that for us, and that that, in my experience, has never been found anywhere else. That no other relationship is satisfied like my relationship with God has. That no one else has offered forgiveness like God has. That no one else has been faithful like God has been. That even my own father, my mum and dad are back together, hooray, praise God, it's all good. But, but even God has been a greater father than that, and that I've not found that anywhere else. And I love that that's the news that I've been told, that the enemy is defeated, that death has been conquered, that, that, that come what may, famine or sword or Brexit going crazy, that, that my God is God and King. I, I love that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. These are not just words now. This is the truth I live by. And if I keep it to myself, what am I doing? Because today is a day of good news. Which of those people is similar to you? Well, here's what the church needs to break out of our siege mentality. We need to respond to God's word. We need to realize it's okay that people might not respond to you inviting them to come to God. Because the Bible says that may happen. It's not your job to convert. It's your job to invite. It might be that that you find no success ever, but, but at least you're not making up people's minds for them. At least it's their own mind making it up. We need to respond to the gospel call of God, which is very simple to go. And to argue less maybe about some of the stuff that is less important. Because I love that lepers, because of the situation, have focused on this is life and death. Because this is life and death. It truly is life and death. 
If salvation is found nowhere else, who's going to go? I had the Mormons come to my house this week. That was really cool. They're so good looking. Great hair, great teeth. That was so good. Their badges on and ties. And they said, ah, oh, you're a pastor. Because he was from America. I can't do an American accent. And, uh, and I said, yeah. And he goes, ah, oh, yeah, we do Jesus too. And I said, really? Tell me about him. And I said, that's not the Jesus that I follow. Mine sounds way cooler. But you've got better hair. <laughs> And I gave them lemonade, and, and it was that thing of going, well, they're going. They're going. And they go, I, I don't know why. Maybe they just love the suits, you know. But they do it for two years. Age 17, you just go. It's part, part of life. Even in an organization where, where they've got a fair bit wrong are, are going. Do you know what I'm saying? And they're doing it for their own purposes, maybe, but, but they're going. But we need to respond to God's word. We need prophets. And what I mean by that is people that speak passionately about the lost and the last and the least. We need people to remind us. That it's not about us. That, that, that we are an organization created for the benefit of those outside. Like, like, we need to respond to that seriously and stop double guessing it and stop making it so complicated. You've heard a great story tonight that, that this is how life is found. You just do life together with all the tears and the mess and the muck. It's not a clean organized event. It's saying you invited me into your home. That. We could do with some lepers. Some of you go, we've got a few of those here. We don't sit next to them. You have to brush the seat off afterwards. But I'm talking about people that go, do you know what? I've got nothing to lose. Because what good is it for me to gain the whole world and yet forfeit my soul? I've got nothing to lose. We could do with some of those people and we could do with being inspired by them. We could do with praying for them. We could do with some officers that are able to gently but lovingly correct this idea that it can't be done or we haven't done that before or that's not how we do it here. We could do with some officers that go, well, why don't we test why don't we try something new? We could do with those kind of people in our church desperately, at Cornerstone especially. You know, where we're asking our, our guys, how can we do this individually as family groups, as units, as, as couples? We could do with some of those. We could do with some chariot riders that, that go and come back and go, yeah, it's been really good. No one's become a Christian yet, but man, we've seen that, that God is out there and that the, the battle is won. And lastly, here's the bit I want to encourage you about as I come to a finish. 2 Kings 7, 16. I love this little bit. It says, then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a sayer of the finest flour sold for a shekel and two sayers of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord has said. Um, you cannot outsource your evangelism to your pastors or your church staff because we aren't as good as you at knowing your mates. Can't do it. And we do this together because that's where the joy is found. Like, like the joy is found in doing this in community. And some of you are looking really scared and so I'm beating you up. I'm, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to say we have such an opportunity. Such an opportunity. The siege has been lifted. When Jesus dies on the cross and says it's finished, the devil's chained. All enemies are starting to flee and we need to get out of the mindset that they're somehow winning because our God wins. Have you read the end of the Bible? It's really exciting. It's like really good. But we need to do with the movement of all the people just to get behind this and praying for it and, 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 and living it and loving it and starting with your family members and starting with those that you love the most because it happens most naturally then. We could do with encouraging those that are struggling that actually, do you know what, it's okay to feel surrounded. But let's, let's start asking that God might surround you rather than what you're feeling. Like, that would be a good thing to start. Helen said I should speak for 10 minutes. I'm sorry I haven't. Um, I truly believe that, that if we got this, 
and we work together and we pray and we humble ourselves, I truly believe something might change. I truly believe it. And I can tell you about some of the guys at Cornerstone that have done it. Uh, but you're hearing it here. So I just ask and encourage you. I know it's a funny Bible story in lots of ways. Um, pray for lepers. Pray for these people that go, have got nothing to lose. Because what can you lose? But what could you gain? Uh, my prayer at Cornerstone is that in three years' time, all of us will just say, this is the person who now loves Jesus because I invited, but because God is good. That's my prayer, because how encouraging would that be? We may never get there. Who knows? In, in three years' time, maybe Hugh and Veronica and I will come back and we'll be like, it all went wrong. Turns out the siege is still out there. We don't know what to do. Uh, but every time I've gone, God has gone before me. Every time. And that's when my faith grows. I, I pray that's a blessing to you. I encourage you to not let it be about you. Let it be about God. Let it be about them that don't know. Uh, thank you. Let's pray. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. Father God, we're sorry if that is the case, for whatever reason, that uh, we may feel fearful of um, the reaction as we share that good news. And yet, as we've heard this evening, we have nothing to lose. Lord, we come together this evening and it feels safe and secure. We're with uh, other fellow believers and we praise you and worship you and we're all on the same page. We share fellowship together. But we know as we go from here, we go out into a world where for many people um, you are just not on their radar. And Lord, that grieves us, that grieves you. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would send us out from here by the power of your Spirit with that urgency, with that compassion, and, Lord, with a sense of doing the uh, commandment that you've given us to do, to, to take the gospel into all the world. So, Lord, uh, go before us uh, this week, and we pray for all those we will come into contact with this week that we would have the chance to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not to keep it to ourselves, but to, to share it with others and not fear the consequences. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.